0: Glad that we have vacation Bible school going on tonight. We are glad that the folks at Pike Road and over at Wetumpka that you're joining us by video. We're glad that you're along uh, with us today. Uh, today, I have the unenviable task of talking about a topic that is not very popular at all, and you'll see why as we go through this. Today, we're going to talk about the subject of hell. We spent the entire month of May talking about heaven. We had a baptism um, service last week, and then this week, I really want to finish up that series with. Uh, the sequel, kind of like, or one more addition to that series, and that is the topic of hell, because the Bible tells us that we live eternally, and either we live forever in heaven with God or apart from Him in hell. And I don't, I don't want to make. I want to make sure that we cover both sides of this. Um, and though it's not popular, it's something that the Bible speaks very plainly about. It's something that Jesus spoke very plainly about. And I always want to make sure we get our instruction on on how we're supposed to live our lives and how we're supposed to prepare for eternity from the Bible, even if it means talking about some things that make us uncomfortable. By the way, I, I know it makes people uncomfortable because our, in America today, we're kind of confused about these things. There was a poll taken not that long ago, 74% of Americans said they believe in heaven, 40% said they believe in hell. What about those 34% in the middle? Oklahoma? I mean, where are they? Okay, what is that? And I don't know that we know, and we kind of take our theology a la carte here. We believe in the things we want to believe in, and we throw away the things we don't want to believe in, but the Bible doesn't give us that option, and Jesus certainly didn't. And today, I want to talk with you about this topic, because there are some real-life applications for you and me. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be here today. I thank you that we can look at your word for guidance in all matters of faith and practice. And Lord... um, You talked to to us from your word about how to live our lives each day and how to prepare ourselves for death and eternal life with you. Uh, And so, Lord, I just ask that you would speak today. You'd move me out of the way. Teach us what we need to know about hell. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. If you need a pen, by the way, just raise your hand, and one of our uh, ushers would be glad to bring one to you. And then way you can fill in the blanks, take some notes as we go along. <clears> the <throat> point in your outline simply says this, that hell is a real and terrible place. It's a real and terrible place. The Bible does not talk about it as a mythological place or as a, just a figurative notion, but as a real place. And that's why I want to spend some time talking about this and even defining what hell means. Because in our culture today, we've lost a lot of meaning. Um, uh, you know, the word hell can mean almost anything. It's hot. Then it's we say it's hotter than hell. If we go to a football team, we tell our team to give the other team hell. You go to a Mexican restaurant and they have hellfire hot sauce. Um, And so hell can mean anything. If you stand in line for more than twenty minutes at Walmart, shopping was that, okay? (laughs) And so we do. We use the word flippantly, and as a result, it's lost a lot of meaning. I mean that's just the way it goes and so we don't believe in a literal hell the uh uh you know it's like the story of the couple that was getting married a young couple the young woman fell in love with this young man and they went through premarital counseling and they met with the pastor who was going to do the wedding ceremony and he was talking to them about church and their theological beliefs and other things and all of a sudden it turned out you know they got to the subject of heaven and hell and the groom said i don't believe in that i believe it's just you know we live this life in this world and that's it well, the bride was shocked, and she went home. And she said, "Mom, I don't know if I can marry this guy. It's wow. like, because he doesn't believe in heaven or hell, and, and he's a wonderful guy and all this." And mother listened here for a while and said, "You know, well, you'll be his bride, and I'll be his mother-in-law. I'll tell you what you do. You go ahead and marry him, and you make him believe in heaven, and I'll make him believe in hell." And uh, <clears throat> and what I'm trying to say is, I just added to the problem. I mean, do you see what I'm saying? I mean, when I tell you a story like that, of course we laugh, and it's funny and all these things. But the problem is, we have, it has become so much a part of our vernacular, we've lost the meaning of what hell meant when Jesus talked about it. And so today, I want to set us aside from that and go to another side of the table here. And point A talks about this some more. Underneath that, there's a note. The word hell, that's translated hell in modern translations... Some of you are familiar with the biblical languages and know that there are other words for the afterlife, like Sheol, and places like this, places of the dead. There's a word in the Bible that means a place of eternal punishment for the wicked dead, and it's a word pronounced Gehenna. And it's the word that we're going to talk about today, translated hell, that concept. And so I'm focusing on one specific word. It's used 11 times in the New Testament. Jesus used it 10 of those times. Jesus spoke plainly about a place of eternal punishment for the unrighteous dead. And so I want to be very clear on this. I'm not talking about just a place that could be either the righteous dead or the unrighteous dead or all these things like this. I'm talking about one specific thing, and I'm talking about hell. And Gehenna is that word, and Jesus chose this word carefully. He did not choose words by accident. And when he spoke plainly about this, he was just using a word that was loaded with meaning. Gehenna is the name that derived from a place called the Valley of Ben-Hinnom. It was kind of short for that. A short abbreviation for that was Gehenna. It was a garbage dump southwest of Jerusalem where children were burned alive as sacrifices to the Canaanite deity, Molech. Some of the more wicked kings, the most wicked kings in Israel's history. You can see that in Second Chronicles 28.3 and 33.6. You can read about those on your own. God had told the children of Israel when they came into the promised land, I, do not want, I want you to serve only me. I do not want you to serve the pagan gods of the cultures around you. They will lead you into horrible sins. To worship Molech led you into great sexual immorality and even led people to do an abominable thing that was spoken of only in horror. Among the Jewish people, these wicked kings followed after the nations, warlike nations, where there would be a god of war and a god of prosperity named Molech. And if you wanted to be victorious in battle and prosperous in your crops and have many children, then one of the rites of worship was to come with your firstborn child to a furnace, a fireplace, an iron statue with a cow's head and metal arms outstretched and kind of in the belly of it, a brick oven with flames dancing inside of it. And you took your firstborn child and as an act of obedience and worship to Molech, you pitched him in alive. Screaming. Burning to death. And the people who did this wicked thing set up these abominable fireplaces in a place called Ben-Hinnom, a garbage dump filled with maggots and rot. If you understand that, then you're going to begin to understand why Jesus said this is a place you never want to go. Jeremiah 7, the prophet Jeremiah speaks to the people of Israel about this and why they are facing terrible judgment from God. Point one, by the way, this is A1. Let me fill in the blank here. Hell is associated with rot, evil, evil horror, judgment, wickedness. This is a wicked, horrible thing. And God's judged it because it was, it portrayed exactly how wicked the human heart can be. Jeremiah said this, the people, he's quoting the Lord here, the people of Judah have sinned before my eyes, says the Lord. They've built pagan shrines at Topheth. Topheth just means fireplace, one of these wicked altars, this, Oven with arms. The people have built pagan shrines at Topheth, a garbage dump in the valley of Ben Hinnom, and there they burn their sons and daughters in the fire. I've never commanded such a horrible deed. It never even crossed my mind to command such a thing. So beware for the time is coming, says the Lord, when that garbage dump will no longer be called Topheth or the Valley of Ben-Hinnom, but the Valley of Slaughter. And they will bury the bodies of, in Topheth until there's no more room for them. The bodies of my people will be food for the vultures and wild animals, and no one will be left to scare them away. And so this was a place that was associated with horror and murder and rot and burning flesh and slaughter as a result of God's judgment and wrath poured out on such wickedness. All that. And Jesus said, repent of your sins or else you will face Gehenna. You can say, John, I mean, you really think so? I go, I know so. We have words that are loaded that way and a title too. If I say the word Vegas, you think of casinos, gambling, showgirls, whatever else comes to mind. If I say Disney, you think of rides and, you know, hotels and long lines or whatever else comes to mind there. I mean, we could talk about things like that, and I could also add other names, places that we don't want to go. Columbine. Sandy Hook. Hiroshima. Chernobyl. Places of death and murder and slaughter and fire. And what if you took a place that had all those things put together in one and Jesus said, you need to repent of your sins and turn to God so you will not face eternal judgment in Gehenna. Hell. Now, if we really had a concept of how wicked and how horrible and what terror that name brought and what great shame that brought when the people of Israel even mentioned this, that there would have been people in their past at the time of Jesus who did these wicked things, then you would understand what weight it held. And we would not joke about hell. And we would never use that word lightly. And Jesus talked about it that way. So hell is a real and terrible place. And Jesus said, you do not want to go there. Elsewhere in scripture, we understand this, that hell is painful and terrifying. It's a real place of punishment for great wickedness. It's dark and painful and terrifying. Jesus, again, he's not using the word, but the concept is here. Again, in Matthew 25, in the parable of the sheep and the goats, or I mean the parable of the stewards, he says, now, throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Gnashing of teeth, by the way, is when you grit your teeth in pain. You've just smashed your finger with a hammer or you've just stepped on a piece of glass. You go, that's gnashing your teeth. But it doesn't last for a moment, it lasts forever. And Jesus warned us of this place. Revelation 14, John, one of Jesus' disciples, was given a glimpse of heaven, the end of the world, eternal punishment, and the devil and those who follow him will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur. That's Revelation 14, 10. Burning sulfur, hot, fire, agony. Hell is a place of judgment and slaughter and punishment, painful and terrifying. You know, it's said that when... People were sacrificing their children in that garbage dump. The historical records are the wind would sometimes be blowing from the southwest across Jerusalem, and people wouldn't come out of their houses because of the smell. And if you did walk out, you would walk out and vomit in the streets. It was so horrible. A terrible place. And Jesus said, do not go there. Whatever you must do, not go there and that brings us to point three hell is eternal jesus warning of this says look if this again this is jesus speaking of these things if your eye causes you to sin then gouge it out it's better to enter the kingdom of god with only one eye than have two eyes and be thrown into hell gehenna where the maggots never die and the fire never goes out jesus said repent Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins and pay the penalty for our sins. He told us to turn from sin and turn to God. And he warned us that God can have no part of sin. We take sin lightly. God does not. The smoke of their torment, again, John and Revelation 14, 11, will rise forever and ever, and they will have no relief day or night. Hell is a terrible place, a dark place. And it's eternal. Why did God create such a horrible place? Well, it was created by God to righteously punish the devil. The devil was the greatest of all the angels. Lucifer was mighty, beautiful, powerful, and a servant of the Most High until pride entered his heart. And then one day he said, I will set my throne above the Most High. I will be King of Heaven. And he rebelled against God, and apparently a number of the other angels joined him. He forgot that he was a created being, rebelling against the creator of all things. And though he was mighty, he's not almighty. And that battle was over as soon as it began. And the punishment for his great rebellion and his great wickedness is a lake of fire. At the end of all history... Scripture says this in Revelation 20, Then the devil who had deceived them, those those humans who had followed him, was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet, two great leaders who will arise to deceive people at the end of history. And there they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. There is a myth, I'm not sure how it got started in our culture, I haven't done enough research on that, that hell is a place of fire, a cave with flames in it, and the Devil likes flames. He wears a red suit, has horns, and a pitchfork and a tail. And he likes to live in hell. And the demons serve him there. He's the prince of hell. And he's in command of it, and he's in charge. Well, it's, nothing could be farther from this. He doesn't want to go there. And he'll be pitched headlong into that place, and be punished there forever. And that's why hell was created for his wickedness and his rebellion. But not only is hell created righteously by God to righteously punish the dead, it was also created by God to righteously punish unrepentant sinners. And this brings us to the opening pages of the Bible, where the devil himself is tempting the first two people, Adam and Eve, to join him in the rebellion. God had told Adam and Eve they could eat the fruit off of any of the trees in the garden, save for one. And he clearly pointed out, not this one. Because this tree will give you experiential knowledge. You'll know You'll know good versus evil when you eat of this. And the devil tempted him, go ahead and eat. God's holding out the best from you. You eat of this, this is delicious fruit. You could be just like God. Remember, that was what he wanted to be. He wanted to put himself ahead of God. And he said, put your own desires ahead of God. It's great. Come over to my side. And then, in fact, that's what they did. And as their descendants, we've done the same things many times in our lives. We've known the right thing to do, and we've chosen to do the wrong thing anyway. We've known the right thing to do, and we said we will do it later. That doesn't apply to me. Somebody else can do it. And we haven't only done this once. We've done it many, 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 many times. And the Bible says that we are all sinners, as rebellious as Adam and Eve were, and just as deserving of punishment, and they were cast out of the garden. And Jesus said at the end of history, those who have not had their sins forgiven and been made right with God, they will face eternal judgment, eternal punishment in hell. Matthew 25, Jesus is speaking of the great white throne judgment where people will be separated. The righteous will enter eternal life and the unrighteous will go into eternal punishment in hell. Again, Jesus is speaking. Then the king will turn to those on his left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, in an eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. Again, that's why hell was created. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Paul spoke about this in 2 Thessalonians 1. Jesus will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and those who refuse to obey. Please underline, refuse to obey excuse me, refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus, they will be punished with eternal destruction forever, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. If I just stop there, I've painted a very bleak and dismal picture. But we have to start there. Because one of the great dangers in our society is, and if I was the devil, and I hope none of you think I am, I'm not, But if I was the devil, one of the things I would want to do is I would want to empty the word hell of all of its meaning. So I might be talking about hot sauce. Because that way, hell is just kind of a smurf word. It can mean whatever you want it to mean. It doesn't mean anything. And that way, hell won't be taken as a serious deal. And that way, if somebody doesn't know Christ and they enter, and they die, and they enter into eternity, they're not afraid of facing a Christless eternity because they don't believe in hell. And so even if somebody brings up the topic, they go, eh, it doesn't really mean anything. Who's afraid of hot sauce? And so the devil succeeded in emptying the word of the meaning that it had. When Jesus warned us, he warned us of a horrible place, of pain and terror and judgment. But the reason he warned us is because he came to do something about it. And that's the life application. And I'm glad we're flipping the page because I want to give you some good news now. Good news. Jesus made a way for us to escape punishment in hell. Okay, I got like two amens. And that just means you have not understood anything I've said this morning. So I'm going to start. I'm gonna, we're going to get a running start. and you're gonna, You can jump in this time. Life application. Good news. Jesus made, us, made a way for us to escape punishment in hell. I mean, this is why we proclaim the good news of Christ. Look, I am a sinner. If you have not yet made that discovery, ask your spouse if you're married. They will verify you're a sinner, okay? We are sinners. We are rebels. And we make light of sin and we say, well, because we sin so much, we're tolerant of that and other people. We're tolerant of even gross sins in our culture now we become so vulgar that even swear words aren't swear words anymore. They just come out on TV at any time now. (coughs) And concepts like hell and other things that people were terribly particular about in the past, eh. as a result, we also cheapen the good news. And people don't think that it's urgent that they repent (coughs) and come to Christ, but it is. It's terribly urgent. And now you know why Jesus said these words, God loved the world so much that He gave His one and only Son that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Jesus, the same one who warned us about Gehenna, also said, There's a way out. If you believe in Me, come to Me. I'll give you rest for your souls. Come to Me. I'll give you forgiveness. And that's why we worship Jesus. Paul wrote about this in Romans six twenty three. for the wages of sin is death. And please circle the word wages. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. A wage is something you earn. Because we're sinners, I have earned God's wrath. All those times when I made those decisions to say things I shouldn't have said, to give in, to let my temper be vented fully, to pass up opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to help someone, say the right thing, do the right thing. We all know what we're talking about. All of us are guilty of a multitude of sins. And Jesus said, I'll pay your sins for you. You can never pay for them. And that's why it was necessary for him to be nailed to a cross and be beaten and have a crown of thorns hammered into his head and to be stripped and spit upon and mocked And that's why he hung on that cross. And to the very people who were doing these horrible things, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So yes, hell is a reality, and we dare not skip over it because if we skip over it, we're going to give people the illusion that they don't need to make a decision. And then if you enter eternity and you haven't made a decision for Christ, it doesn't matter. It matters greatly because Jesus is our escape. Jesus is the remedy. Jesus is our way out. And so all who come to him, we come to him and say, God, I am a sinner and I deserve that wrath. The wrath that was poured out on you, that should have been me. And God, I thank you for forgiving me. I surrender my life to you. Now, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit and empower me so I can live the rest of my days becoming who you intended for me to be and I can spend eternity with you in heaven, not in hell. And this is the Christian message. But because it involves a condemnation of every single person who's ever lived... It's not a popular one. Because you and I have to look in the mirror and admit, yeah, I am a sinner. That doesn't sit well. But if somehow you've misunderstood that we're all a bunch of sinners in need of forgiveness, let me make it clear here. Everybody in the sound of my voice is a sinner in need of forgiveness. Praise God, he does so through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that's why we come to him. So if I was the devil, I would want to cheapen the word hell and empty, of, its, empty of, it, of all its meaning so it was nothing more than hot sauce or a chant we say at a football game, part of a chant we say at a football game. The other thing I would want to do, if I couldn't get people just emptied of all meaning, <clears throat> I would want people to think that God, the one who sent his son to die on the cross for us, since he created hell, that he wanted to fill it up with people. That God is an angry, vengeful God just waiting for somebody to mess up so he can send them straight to hell on an express elevator. That's the other thing I would want people to think. That God hates us. And that he just wants to get even with us. He's just hoping we mess up on Tuesday. There we go. Instead of perceiving God as a loving God who is willing to sacrifice his own son to rescue us from hell. God wasn't the one who threw his kids in the fire. Wicked people did that. God said, that never even entered my mind. I sent my son to save you from the fire. He died so you can live. Come to me. And Jesus was astounded at how upside down we got in the whole thing. And so he talked about hell a lot and he warned people, repent. He also died on the cross and said, I'll make a way possible for you to live life better than you ever dreamed. Come to me. And some point B, I want to make this very clear. Jesus warned us about hell because he does not he does not want people to go there. Please never ingest, never in a moment of anger, never tell someone to go to hell. Never. It betrays again the meaning of this. You and I have no authority to send someone there. And God himself sent his own son to rescue us so people don't have to go there. Never joke of this. Jesus was speaking to religious leaders who were a group of religious leaders, some Pharisees who were very convinced that they were going to heaven because they were better than everybody else. They were also convinced that if as God's people, God had promised to bless them in a land flowing with milk and honey when they came to the promised land. And if you had lots of milk and honey in your storehouses, then God was blessing you. So wealthy people were the blessed of God and they were going to have a special place in heaven, no matter how they lived. must mean they were doing something right. And Jesus came to explode that. So what are you talking about? It's only by God's grace that our sins are forgiven and we need to come to him and have our upright hearts and he blesses us because he's kind and merciful. And so Jesus told a story that surprised his original audience. Jesus said there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen. This is from Luke 16. He lived in, lived each day in luxury, and at his gate there was a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. So you get the idea the rich man did nothing for him. Just kind of drive out past the gate in his chariot or his carriage, or whatever, and do nothing. But finally, the poor man died and was carried to the angel, by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried, and his soul went to the place of the dead. And there in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. And the rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in some water and cool my tongue. I'm in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. Besides, there's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there. And then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home for I have five brothers. And I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. I mean, that's, they would have had the whole Old Testament at that time. <clears throat> Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. And the rich man replied, No, Father Abraham. But if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they'll repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen even if someone rises from the dead. And Jesus was the one telling this story to people who didn't believe in what he said even after he rose from the dead. But about six or seven years ago, I heard uh, Craig Groeschel. He's the pastor of Life Church, lifechurch.tv. And he gave a powerful message on this parable. And he made four observations from this story that I think are worth consideration today. First of all, it's important when we understand we're talking about hell here, that the rich man was conscious and in torment. His life didn't just end. He was very conscious. He knew exactly where he was. He knew exactly who he was, and he knew why he was there. (laughs) Secondly, the rich man's eternal destiny was determined before he died. And it couldn't be changed after he died. Hebrews 9.27 tells us the same thing. Each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. Thirdly, the rich man knew what he was experiencing was just. He did not cry out, Father Abraham, I'm innocent. I'm on a false charge. Mm -mm. He knew he'd lived in luxury. He knew he had had access to what Moses and the prophets had written about living for God and doing what was right, and he didn't care. And he didn't care about the needs of people around him. He only cared about himself. And he knew his judgment was just. And finally, it's interesting to note that the rich man wanted someone to warn his loved ones so they could repent and turn to God. Well, if I can't be saved, then send somebody back to warn my brothers. And if you'd circle the word repent. Repent repent means to turn around and go a different way. Send someone. I mean, isn't it interesting? His whole life, he never cared for anyone, and now he's in flames, and all of a sudden, he's interested in missions. My friends, we are not on the other side of eternity now. We are here, and Jesus told this story to warn us about hell Because God doesn't want people to go there, we can learn from this story. We can learn from the rich man's horrible example. We can tell people. We can warn people. In fact, that's a big life application for you and me from this. We are God's messengers of good news. Paul spoke about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said, God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message. Please underline wonderful message of reconciliation. This is a wonderful message. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. That's the good news. Now look, if we change it and we leave out hell and we say, then we change the gospel, then the good news isn't that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins, that he's made a way of escape for us so we don't have to face the judgment of hell. If we say there is no hell, here's a different good news. There is no hell. Live however you want. Do whatever you want. Doesn't matter. God doesn't care. And when you die, who knows? That is not our message. We preach Christ and Christ crucified. We preach Christ and Christ risen again because he is God in the flesh and he came to save us from our sins. And God wants us to be ambassadors of this great news. If you flip your outline over to the back side, you'll see a couple of quotes under point four. These are some connect group discussion quotes. It's interesting, you go to that point four, you go into the second paragraph. In England, in the... 1800s, there was a notorious English burglar and murderer. He would have been the Charles Manson of his day. He was once told about the fires of hell. And he told the preacher who told him this, he said, sir, I do not share your faith, but if I did, if I believed in what you say, what you say you believed, then although England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would crawl the length and breadth of it on hand and knee and think the pain worthwhile just to save a single soul from this eternal hell of which you speak. See, there's a danger. If we cheapen hell, then people don't see a need to repent. That's certainly true, but there's another danger. We forget all about hell, then there's no need for us to tell our friends. There's no urgency. But I hope you understood this. When the rich man was in flames, it was too late. He needed to make a decision before he died, and therein lies the problem. When will I die? When will you? When will your brother, your cousin, your best friend, your coworker, your next door neighbor, how long do they have to live? I've got plenty of time to tell them about Jesus. I'll tell them next year. Twenty years from now. When I retire, how much time do we have? And my friends, there's an urgency that Jesus meant to stir up in us. And Paul said, today is the day of salvation. Do not delay. So I'm going to have a word of prayer for us this morning about two things. First of all, this is a decision we don't need to put off for ourselves. If you have not repented of your sins, today is the best day to do that. I prayed with someone in my office just the other day. Came in and said, I have made a shambles of my life. I have ruined my life. I've destroyed my relationships. I am bound up in sin. What do I do? He came in and said, what do I do? I said, you come to Jesus. Repent of your sins. And he did right there. His day of salvation was Friday. Today might be yours. Stop running from God. If you and I run our own lives, we're going to run it straight into the ditch and ruin our lives and ruin other people's lives as well. Christ came to save us from sin and to save us from hell. Come to Jesus. But the second thing I'm going to lead us in prayer about is this. We have friends all around us. They're destroying themselves. We know them. In fact, we talk about them when we come home and go, that guy's ruining his life. That woman's destroying herself. It might be through drink. It might be through gambling. It might be through horrible, wicked lifestyle. Destroying themselves. And we know it. When are we praying for them? When are we talking to them about the good news of Christ? And why don't we care? So I'm going to pray about those two things. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I don't want to just talk about heaven. We spent a month talking about your wonderful grace of heaven, the wonderful promise of heaven. Your grace is there, blessings untold. Lord, the same Bible that tells us about heaven tells us about hell. And Jesus, you're the one who told us you're preparing a place in heaven and you're the one who warned us about the fires of hell. And Lord, that we, whatever radical decision we need to make, we need to make it if you're going to meant cutting off our hand or gouging out our eye, whatever we have to do to escape that. And so God, this morning, I pray if there is someone here who needs to repent of their sins and come to you, I pray they will do so right now and quit fighting you and say, oh God, I'm a sinner. I know it. I'm tired of ruining my life. Come to Jesus. If you've been running from him, stop running, repent, and come home. He'll forgive you. He'll give you a new life. But leave your life of sin and come home today. And, Father, I also want to pray for those of us who made a decision to follow you many years ago. And, Lord, many times we get lulled to sleep because you've been gracious and you haven't returned yet. And Father, we get distracted by everyday life. And God, we're not praying as we should. Forgive us, dear God. Lord, set an urgency in our heart for our friends and our neighbors and our relatives, people who don't know you because they need to know you. We pray these things in the name of Christ, our Lord. Amen.